Depth and Light Podcast. I'm J.D. Pirtle. In mid-May 2020, the Michigan Education Association, the state's largest teachers' union, surveyed 15,000 K-12 educators. The survey asked what concerns and fears they might have about teaching during the COVID-19 pandemic. Of those surveyed, 4.8% indicated that they were choosing to retire early due to the pandemic. But 24% responded that they were prepared to quit if forced to teach in person in unsafe situations. But that was three months ago, and if I'm being honest, seems like a year ago. Now many schools are already back in session or are planning to return very soon. Many teachers, staff, and administrators are facing the choice to either teach in potentially life-threatening situations or leave their jobs completely. Today, we are going to hear from one educator, Kelly Huxtable, about what it's like to make that very difficult decision. Kelly, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. I'm thrilled that you were able to make time to talk to me again. Awesome. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. So you recently made a pretty big life change. And uh, just to kind of, I guess, you know, remind people that you were in episode 21, I believe, and that was back in March. And we were, you were on with Joan Horvath and we were just chatting about teaching during the COVID-19 pandemic. And, uh, you know, I feel like we were like, almost like infants than like what we knew about the pandemic and what was going to happen. I think that like a lot of people, I was thinking that by fall, we would have this under control and school would return to normal. Um, And it is very much the opposite of that. So I was just wondering if you wanted to talk about kind of um, what the, what was the rest of the spring like for you? Like from, we, we talked around March 25th, I think 2020, how did the rest of the spring go? At the time that we had spoken, um, my school was actually on spring break and we were starting to kind of ramp up around that. Um, after I spoke with you, um, work got very intense for a few weeks while we created the platform that we were using, um, and kind of acclimating the parents and the kids. And actually, you know, for some, for a lot of the teachers learning how to teach in this completely different environment without, physical cues or kind of that social emotional kind of togetherness you get when you're together all day um, Mm -hmm. versus this kind of at home piece that we're all kind of still working out. Um, So the spring was, it was intense. We did kind of weekly get togethers as a school with two to 300 members. Um, even grandparents came. And so we had a lot of events to try to continue to create community within the school. You mean virtually, um, right? Virtually. Yes. Yeah. Okay. On zoom. So large zoom events. Um, and that was great. And kids seemed to be into that and they really missed each other. And I think there were so many unknowns and most people were really just home. Mm-hmm. Um, and school ended at the beginning of June. And then it kind of, teachers were just done. We had mm-hmm. faculty work week and people just needed to disengage from technology and regroup. I think at that point, people were st- 
still, I think, optimistic about um, some sort of getting back to some sort of sense of normalcy in the fall. But as July crept closer and closer, and then July happened, that that hope kind of just disappeared. Um, we're in New England, and our numbers have been relatively okay, um, mm-hmm. steady. Um, I would say they're still probably around the same area they were when we shut everything down. Um, mm-hmm. And we're in the summer and everybody's outside. It's a lot different. So I know for myself, I have a lot of concerns about what happens when we go inside mm-hmm. and shut everything down. And we're relying on the HVAC systems to like, you know, process the air and move it around, like all the um, ventilation questions and so forth. So for myself, I have two small children and I'm trying to balance what that means for them. And the fact that we have been very kind of, we've been following like socializing, like isolating and masking, not really seeing people, Mm -hmm. um, even not seeing immediate family that might not be making the same choices that we're making. Sure. So it creates a complicated kind of scenario for the kids to then say, all right, we're just going to go back to school. And my school um, is planning five days, full days, um, with even supporting families with before care and after care, figuring out what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And from the very young kids to like almost toddler age to eighth graders. And that felt really kind of uncomfortable for us. And we wanted a remote option. And if there had been, we would have selected that. Um, But then there's also the question of if they're remote and I work at their school, Mm -hmm. how does that work? How do we balance if they're remote, if they're remote and I'm, I'm working, how do we balance that? How do we balance? So you're kind of missing the benefit of that in, in a lot of ways. I mean, if they're, if you're, if you're going in and out of their school and traveling to and from that campus, um, it's kind of like, what's the point of them being remote? I mean, you're, you're kind of adding a vector of infection into your household. Exactly. And then the question became, okay, well, if we're at school and someone in my class gets sick, does that mean everyone in my two children's class? Like, how does, how does that work logistically? Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of clarity around that. Um, and that caused me some concern. And then Mm -hmm. there was, um, a lot of, up until recently, a lot of discussion about how children are getting sick or they're right. not spreading it. And I, from that moment, I felt like, well, there's really no data. Kids have really been away. I mean, right. and most of the camps are outside right now. And that was, you're still talking about kind of like the thinking that was happening in July, right? Yes. Up until the end of July. I sure. feel like it's only the past like two weeks that they've started to accept the idea that kids are carriers. I think anybody who works at a school with kids every day really never believed that they weren't carriers. So you're in a private school and I don't think that everybody, I mean, people who don't really are not that familiar with private schools. I mean, the private school thinking about reopening is very different than the public schools. Yes. So, you know, I mean, tuition-based schools are facing, you know, parents who are talking about leaving 
they're talking about. I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things that my wife and I were talking about with, about one of our friends was that, you know, they have a really decent public school right next to them. So if their private school is going to go remote, why not just withdraw your kids and put them in the public school and have a decent remote option? So, I mean, was that something that you kind of, I mean, is that part of what the decision was with your school to, to reopen? I find it odd also that they didn't offer any remote option for parents. They ended up um, kind of offering a remote option, but it hasn't really been clarified. Um, And it was like one teacher, they were opening it up to so many kids um, and it would have been cross levels. So it was kind of almost an afterthought, but Mm. they were really, because they were, I think it was one, the amount of staffing to do both the remote and to be on site and trying to fill in those gaps and not having enough staffing to support um, the in-house kind of experience and meet the mandates and so forth was kind of overriding other thinking. And I imagine mm-hmm. like for administrators, especially in private schools where it is tuition-based and that's most of your operational budget, you're not working off of grants or federal aid or state aid or town aid or whatever. Um, mm-hmm people are paying you and they're paying a lot of money and they want to see a return on investment. Um, I know sitting in on kind of talks through ASNI at the beginning of kind of when this all was happening in the, in the spring, they were saying like, you know, what we offer during normal circumstances is that community is that like Mm -hmm. social emotional piece. How does that translate? What does that look like? And like in the spring, we were all in kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like emergency chaos, mode. Yeah, emergency yeah. mode. And so people yeah. were more forgiving. They were totally sure. more forgiving. Now we've had the summer and I think the expectations of what remote learning or school is going to look like, especially for paying customers, is, feels a lot different and I think a lot harder to wrap your head around. And so dealing with trying to keep kids separated, but keep them together. Um, And on top of that, my school is also a Montessori school. Mm. And so there's no desks. It's not like you can create a grid and say, you know, all the kids are going to sit at their desk. They're all going to have their home base, be able to keep somewhat, you know, spaced. The whole like notion of Montessori is community. It's all community materials, everything. So figuring out all the logistics around that was just, it didn't make sense. How are we going to honor what we do and open to full capacity? So it's that kind of space and time piece, like how many people are in the space Mm -hmm. and then how do we let them have adequate amount of time with and without the masks too. I mean, asking an adult to keep a mask on all day is, I've yet to see a lot of adults capable of that. Now we're asking small children yeah. to, to do that. Just I think, you know, when talking over kind of the option, my one of my son's schools did offer the option of remote. And when we were talking to him about like, okay, let's do the pros and cons of returning in person. One of the things I brought up that I've been thinking about a lot is, I think my son and a lot of kids and a lot of families are imagining school as it existed before March. They are not imagining kind of the 
regimented, everybody at distant at social distance, um, you know, 12 foot away, 12 feet away from your teacher while you're eating lunch with your mask off. Um, you know, like all the great things about a progressive school, the collaboration, the sharing of materials. I mean, in a Montessori school, kind of following the child, I mean, none of that is going to be possible because of state health mandates for reopening. So I think that there's going to be a lot of families and especially a lot of students that come back to school when school starts and after a few days just hate it. And I think those families might elect to go remote um, for the schools that actually offer that. But it sounds like your your school has not really articulated that or... Uh, did they survey the parents at all about what they might want to do? That's interesting. Um, they surveyed the parents um, after it was kind of known that they were going to be going full, you know, the idea was to open full five days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was a lot of kind of, because there were, I, independent schools have either parents who kind of sit back and then you have parents who are very vocal. And I feel like the mm-hmm. parents who were very vocal up until that point were all about getting their kids back to school for whatever reason, work. It's just the environment they want their kids in. It's just better mm-hmm. than being, whatever the reason was, those were very loud voices. Um, mm-hmm. But once, then it seemed to shift. Um, and the people who were kind of waiting to see what proposals were like, whoa, like we've all been kind of, trying really hard to do the right things. And this feels kind of almost, it's either we're all in over here or we're not in at all. And that feels really kind of strange because especially in independent schools, I mean, I feel like that sense of community, you're Mm -hmm. either, so I'm either all in and I have to go, even though it's kind of going against what I've been doing, or I'm going to lose this community that I've been in for so many years. Mm -hmm. So it's really disheartening. I know for myself as both a parent and a teacher was like, you were in this kind of weird, like, um, kind of just spinning, you were spinning Mm -hmm. and you weren't like, you'd be like, I would go to sleep at like three, then I would wake up at like 6am and then I would do a few things. And the whole time I'm like, what am I doing? What has changed? Like, are there new test results or are we like, Mm -hmm. Like, did we learn anything new in the last four hours? How does yeah, this work? Yeah, constant vigilance. Yeah. And it just is like soul sucking. It really is for both, I think, parents and teachers, because especially the teachers, it's like, what am I building curriculum for? In-person curriculum is very different than mm. like Zoom curriculum, like, and trying to figure out ways to make that more collaborative and give the kids a sense of agency. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of the community we're in is that sense of agency that would kind of not exist. Like you were saying, like there, you're not going to be able to go to the other classroom for lunch. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to sit with your friends and kind of be all chummy. I, I have no idea what regulating recess would be like, yeah. you know, I mean, like, like how do you not have kids just run over? I mean, it, we go to the, we live on the shore and we go to the beach and I'm just like, uh, try to keep space. And you don't mm-hmm. want to keep saying it because it's so, it's just after a while you're like, oh, like it just feels terrible for everyone, for the kids, for you. Then you feel like you're just like, I don't know, it just feels really hard. Or we're going to go back and we're going to what wait till something happens to someone mm-hmm. that's in our community and then make a decision. And that felt really crummy to me also. So yeah. Yeah, we came together as a family like similar to yours and just talked about what we wanted to do. 
And one thing that they were really adamant about, and my kids are third and fifth grade, especially my fifth grader, was she did not want to do remote learning. Mm -hmm. But she also didn't want to go back to school and be in this like completely different environment. So we've actually opted to homeschool. Mm. So I'm very interested to see how this happens. Thankfully, my husband is very excited about this. So, I mean, I guess kind of leading up to the decision, I mean, you came to a place where it sounded like your only option was to go and risk this and you made a decision for yourself and your family. Um, so I wonder if you wanted to talk about that. So for, I'm, um, I'm not a classroom teacher. I'm a specialist mm. teacher and it was really undefined what our role would be. Um, and it felt like the level of exposure was just, um, for me was going to be between two classrooms. Um, how would I teach curriculum at all? What, you know, how, and help the children like, mm -hmm. and support the teacher. Um, and that would be changing every few weeks going into different classes. It just didn't seem like a viable model for myself to feel like professionally that I was actually contributing like the skill set that I have. And it just felt like maybe it was time to figure some something else out. And for my kids, and I think with a lot of people, transition can be hard. And since we've been home for so long, the transition for them, I think, seemed less intense mm -hmm. than it would be if we were just leaving at the end of the school year for whatever reason, because mm -hmm. it's been so long since they've seen them. And being an independent school, most of the time, your friends don't live in your neighborhood. Right. So it's not like they're going here and you see them and you feel sad or something. You don't, it's different. Yeah. So you ultimately decided to leave your position there. I did. I did. And so when was that? I mean. Um, I, um, two weeks ago, I gave notice and I'm just kind of finishing up. I do a lot of technical um, work. So I'm trying to figure out who I am kind of passing the baton to and making sure for a smooth transition because we are invested in the community and we've been there for nine years and oh, wow. want to, we want to see them succeed. My kids have been there since they were really little, um, 16 and 18 months wow. and they're now, you know, 10 and eight. So it's been, we've invested a lot as like a family. So it's been, it's been intense coming up to that point, but it was also a big relief to have made a decision, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever we decided, it just felt good to know, okay, this is what we're doing. And whatever comes, comes and figuring that piece out. And so had you been there the whole time, the whole nine years that they were there as an employee? Yes. I, I started when my oldest was um, 16 months. A few other teachers have left for similar, um, I think, reasons, just mm -hmm. health, um, health con personal health concerns and so forth. Um, I think for me, my kids have gone all the way up on almost every level. And the level that they're not in, I have teachers who have kids who are the same age as mine. Mm -hmm. And most of our, most of their friends are other faculty kids. Right. And so, cause they're, they're there late. They're kind of, you know, doing their thing around the school. It's just different as a faculty kid. And so they had that really tight bond with a lot of them who are very similar ages. Um, so I think that piece is, is hard is hard for like all of us because those are like my friends outside of work too. Mm -hmm. Those are like the people. And so it definitely is, um, it definitely is a tough decision. And I feel like it's one of those things where I have to go and figure stuff out for myself 
Mm-hmm. But then I'm, I think I've made it clear that I'm available to like answer questions or help whenever that I wouldn't leave them in, like in a lurch and yeah. so forth. But of course, I mean, that's really generous. I mean, but it sounds to me like just the ability to make it, you talked about agency for your students, but some agency for yourself, being able to make a decision um, and kind of move on. It seemed like it was like kind of healthy and, and, and felt better than the alternative in this situation. Totally. I think if we had gone back every day when we kind of came home, you would just be kind of waiting for someone to have like the sniffles or a cough or like, do you snuggle up to your people? Are you wondering mm-hmm. like, it's, there just was too many levels of like discomfort for us to like be able to like move through without this like high level of stress. Right. And it's already stressful. And I was just like, you know what? Normal school and normal work has its own stressor, like, you know, as a working parent and so forth. Now we're going to add this like other like crazy layer that's just feels like we can't even support each other. You know, Mm -hmm. like when, like it's like when something happens to someone, you want to go over and give them a hug and you can't even give them a hug or, you know, or stop and wipe some kid's nose or just like the little things or zip up their coat or have them take a moment. Um, I do arrivals and dismissals. Like, and mm-hmm. when we do arrivals, like sometimes like kids don't want to get out of the car and like, yeah, how does yeah. that work now? Sometimes help tra- them out, yeah. And they're fine once they get in the classroom, but it might be a little bit of a hot mess until they're in the classroom or, you know, how does that, how, how are we going to support those small, our small friends? That's what I always think about the really, like, I feel like fourth grade and higher, we can figure this out. I think if, um, my kids were like, you know, if my eight year old was 10 and that was my youngest, it might feel different, Mm -hmm. but my third grader is with first, second and third graders. And that's a big age group in terms of like understanding and processing and just trying to wrap our heads around this. And different families have done different things. So we're all going to come together and we have to trust everyone who's made different choices. And on top, yeah. And on top of that, independent schools need, need people. So now we have other kids coming in who could be great uh, members of our community, or they might be there for just a year because this offers them like more flexibility for parents mm-hmm. who, I mean, and I, I don't judge them for that at all. I mean, we all have to try to figure out what works best for us. There's just no, there's no right answer in this at all. It's so, and which is, I think, so disheartening for so many parents and so many teachers and everyone is that nothing feels like, oh, I have the, this, this is how we'll solve it. This'll, this'll be perfect. Right. There's none of that. Yeah, I think it's just heartbreaking that you kind of were led to a decision where you weren't getting any support for your concerns and the only alternative is to take your family out of that situation, your employment, mm-hmm. your children's school. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously you're still connected to the community long term, but I mean, that connection is just very different when you're not working with those people day to day, not being in that neighborhood day to day. And it's hard to, because I trust my coworkers to to make good decisions, but I, I just don't think it's going to be feasible to do or control something that we just don't completely understand or like see. It's not, it's so surreal, the whole thing that, you know, you could be with someone and then be fine until like a week later. And that, that kind of piece is, I think, kind of the part. And if you're not 
fully testing everyone before you go in, you're basically going in knowing that there's going to be people who are already exposed. Oh, I think that's kind of, I mean, I think it's wishful thinking that people think schools aren't going to have outbreaks. I mean, we just saw yesterday at UNC, um, you know, had five different clusters and five faculty members. I think there was like 130 something students that that were infected in the first week. And of course, that's a much larger organization. Um, but yeah, they closed the whole campus and they're doing remote learning. I mean, I think that people are going to get sick. You know, some people are going to die. I mean, it's not hyperbolic to say that. Um, what's just surreal to me is to hear you know, it's not safe to go to the movie theater. It's not safe to go to a restaurant unless it's extremely socially distanced. But we're about to send everybody back to school a lot in person. I mean, a lot of districts are making the call to go remote. Um, but I just think, you know, that's a huge experiment that we're about to find out the results from. No, and it's scary and it's sad. And I know a lot of public school teachers um, in my town. And there, it's just, it's just blows my mind that they've spent, districts have spent so much money, schools have spent so much money to prepare for this in-school experience of some sort, hybrid or full, with the knowledge that it's going to be so short-lived. Like, could we have taken those resources and made such a difference in other ways? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. And I think about, and I know like, um, you've spoken with um, Liz Gallo and She's like, she always said, like, this isn't a scheduling. This shouldn't be looked at as a scheduling problem. It's an opportunity to like recreate education, to mm -hmm. be creative about these solutions. And I think she's like right on. Like, why are we looking at it per district where each district or each independent school is so kind of has different kind of avenues of being able to solve stuff and revenues and look at it as like a whole, as a, as a bigger, like, a, like as a state or a county mm -hmm. and just kind of help the kids who need to go. Cause they're like you were saying earlier, there are so many kids that school, that is their wraparound service. That is mm -hmm. how they get their fundamental needs met. And I think that's really where all the effort should be going is to like help those populations and make sure that we're as a community, not leaving anyone behind that in helping those families that don't have choices that feel where if you do, maybe we can figure, I, I don't know. I just feel like this is an opportunity to really change the direction of how we look at education. But I feel Most. like it's just been looked at as scheduling. Certainly. I mean, I think if we knew, I think if we knew as educators, what we know now, we could have gone back and said, okay, we're doing a school that is going to be in the warm months of the year. It'll start in late April and we'll go until let's say, you know, what, depending on where you live um, until it gets too cold to be outside. And that was the school year. And, you know, even if we've got teachers mm -hmm. speaking on megaphones or PA systems and, you know, um, kids that are socially distant outside, I mean, there's just a lot of science that shows that it does not spread as much outdoors. I mean, we did a lot of scolding of people going to beaches and parks, but those are actually much safer activities than going to be together in some kind of religious um, indoor situation or some kind of uh, like social gathering indoors. Um, I mean, the time you're around somebody really matters and whether you're wearing a mask really matters. So Kelly, what's next? I mean, what, what are you thinking about, um, you know, for your next teaching position, um, what you might do? I have no idea. Um, um, things that I learned about myself having this position is I am so grateful for. I started off, um, I have a master's in library science. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be working in the makerspace, um, doing crafty things, I probably would have fallen over laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, since the first crafty thing I did was, I think, freshman or sophomore year in college when I was a camp counselor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I enjoy it so much. And we've done, I work with um, preschool all the way to third um, grade and at times all the way to sixth. I just, I want to continue making and giving kids the opportunity to gain that agency and just work with different tools, figuring out what that might look like. Um, I really like that hands-on aspect where you get to um, just make things that you've imagined. Um, Like this morning, my kids made little like vinyl labels all on their own and cut them out on um, and, you know, use the transfer tape and, you know, figured it out. And it was just so rewarding for them to have that sense of kind of like, this is, you know, I did it, you know, it got, I got better at it. I had some problems, but look at what I did. And I think that's just like the coolest part of like learning and just trying to figure out what that means and what that looks like for me. Um, I know people are like, oh, you can go and teach a pod or you can. And I'm just like, I don't know if that's what I want to do. Um, and then also the library piece, I would love to get back into just public libraries is one aspect I've always wanted to really dig deeper into. I've been in school, been in higher ed, special libraries, um, but I've never really wanted, been in public libraries yet. And, you know, way back when it started, I was interested in, you know, the Queens Public Library is supposed to be amazing. And I was almost like, you know, wanted to go work there at one point. Mm-hmm. It didn't pan out in terms of like other things that were going on in my life, but yeah, I know I'm excited to see what um, what comes from this. And I know libraries are in the kind of the same predicament as schools, like wanting to open, um, but unsure. And like our libraries, like the one thing that we've really missed in like, you know, restaurants, movie theaters, like whatever, the library has really been, it's heart-wrenching to not be able to go in there and just kind of like fill up our little shopping bag with books. Yeah. So we have like, we put holds on and they fill our holds and they put them out for us and everything. And it's, so appreciated because I know that that is a logistical nightmare for the staff and just so thankful for what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about a high, high exposure situation. Uh, well, Kelly, I wish you the best of luck. I'm sorry that this is all happening and, and I'm sorry that there, I feel like there's a lot of teachers that are in your situation where they're making this critical decision. That's just gut wrenching to, either keep their job and do what they love and get and risk their lives and the lives of their families and whoever they live with or to move on and face the uncertainty of an unemployment right now. You know, it's not easy for anyone. Thank you for listening to the Depth and Life podcast. A special thanks to Kelly Huxtable for being vulnerable and having this difficult conversation with me today. Depth and Life podcast is produced in its entirety by me, J.D. Bertle. If you have show ideas or general feedback, reach out to us at info at depthandlight.com.